All right. Well, good morning once again. I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be spending some time in Acts 5 this morning. I have a question before we get into this. And here's my question. How many of you like talking about hard things? Raise your hand. There's a few of you. That's awesome. I like that. Well, today we're going to talk about some hard things. Particularly, we're going to talk about sin. And anytime we talk about sin, it can be a hard conversation. It can be an uncomfortable conversation. And my goal today is that it, it won't be either of those. Yes, maybe hard, but not uncomfortable. Uh, sin is a serious matter before God. It's a serious thing that we are to consider as well. And I trust and I hope and I pray that as we settle into understanding the seriousness of sin today, that you will not only take the sin in your life serious, but that you will walk in the grace of God if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you're here today, uh, I trust that you will consider the effect that sin is having on your life, and I invite you to consider Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So please pray with me as we get into our conversation on the importance of sin in our life and dealing with it. God, thank you. Thank you for your word and for the seriousness that we can spend some time this morning considering on sin. Thank you for your grace that is sufficient, for your forgiveness that comes through the blood that was shed on the cross in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, you would encourage us through your word today. You would help us to not only see clearly how you want us to live in light of sin, but how important personal integrity is before you, God, and others. That we may not hinder the advancement of the gospel in this world, but that God, through our light, people would see you in us and be drawn to you through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Ever had a life event where it caused you to have a perspective check? You know, there's two natural life events that we experience that cause perspective checks. First is death. Anytime there's death in the family of a loved one, of a friend, it causes us to consider what is important. And there's oftentimes what I call a perspective check in life when we face death. The other is birth, an exciting time when Babies are brought into this world, and, and we get all giddy about that, but it's also a time for us to take an opportunity to have a perspective check in life. I can remember when Josiah was born, our oldest, and Gwen and I were leaving the hospital, and he was in the baby carriage, and, and we were going to load him in the van, and actually it was a Jeep, jacked up Jeep with big tires, and I thought, someday I'll have to trade the Jeep for a van, and, uh, and I did, uh, but this Josiah has now a Jeep like that. He's going to jack it up and it's going to be cool and so I can live my dream again. That'd be great. But honestly, loading Josiah into the Jeep and realizing that the nurse is not going to go with us was a perspective check on life. What was important? What mattered? And what great responsibility we now have as we leave this place with this child? Perspective check is when we take personal inventory of our life and consider whether or not we are living for what matters 
if we are living for what is truly important. As Christians, nothing is more important to God than our personal holiness. I want you to hear that. As a Christian, nothing is more important to God for you than your personal holiness. Today, we're going to get a perspective check on how we're doing as Christians as we consider Acts 5 and the story of Ananias and Sapphira and how God dealt with the sin in their life. So if you want to follow along with me, I'm actually going to pick up in Acts 4, verse 36 through five, chapter, chapter 5, verse 11. Here we go. For instance, there was Joseph, the one who the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Chapter 5, verse 1. But, I want to pause there for a minute, but, it's a key word. There was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us. You were lying to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in the sheet, took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. I would say that's an appropriate response, wouldn't you? Certainly so. As Christians, we are to honor Christ with our motives. We are to honor Christ with our actions. We are to honor Christ with our attitudes. We are to honor Christ with our character, the way that we live our life. Ananias and Sapphira failed to do so. And they are an example to us 
of how serious God takes sin. Now, as a parent, I train my children to know right from wrong and to do right and not wrong. If you're a parent, you know this very well, that sometimes our children choose to experience life rather than take our advice and recognize that mom and dad were right when we told them the outcome of their experience if they choose to do wrong. You know, I believe this is one of those situations in the Bible where God is giving us a glimpse into something he doesn't want us to experience. But he's giving us an opportunity to learn from someone else's experience. Yet, because we're sinners saved by grace, so many ways we are like Ananias and Sapphira. But what God wants for us today is to understand sin matters. And so does holiness. So let's learn from their sin. There's two big ideas that I want to really talk about this morning. And it's something I've mentioned and I'm going to continue to mention over and over in that sin is serious. And the second one is that personal integrity before God and others really does matter. But we pick up in Acts chapter 4 verse 36 reading about a man named Joseph. He was actually called Barnabas, and he owned some land from Cyprus, and he sold it and laid it at the apostles' feet. What's going on here? Well, Luke happens to tell this story at a place when he has recorded a pinnacle moment in the church where the church is functioning and looks as the ideal church. If we back up a little bit, remember that the believers were sent to Jerusalem to wait for Pentecost, and when Pentecost came, the Spirit came and indwelt them. They began to proclaim the good news about Jesus. People were coming to faith in Christ. We get a little bit further into chapter 4. We have a filling of the Spirit and the believers. We have the first persecution. Between chapter 4 and chapter 2, we recognize that filled with the Spirit, the way that these Christians were living as an example to those around them was that they were not only filled with the Spirit, but that they were praying together, they were worshiping together, they were sharing meals regularly together. They were being generous with everything they had They were selling whatever possessions they had to make sure that those around them had their needs met. So they were became an example of what a generous person is and does. The pinnacle of the ideal church is is seen here. By now, some 20,000 people have come to faith in Jesus, and we have exponential growth just happening by daily leaps and bounds. And what we find throughout the text is that it wasn't these people adding people to the church, but God was adding to the church those who were being saved. And you know what? Satan's not happy about this. So he shows up. And he begins to do his work. 
And he continues to do his work today. In fact, he's been at work since the beginning of time trying to thwart or distract the goodness of God from being good to the world. It happened in the garden. It happened here in the early church. Satan's plan was to use those outside the church first. And so he went to the Sanhedrin. And as the church was growing, he tried to silence Peter and John and the church from advancing the message of the gospel. And that didn't work. So he's like, oh, that, that, that's a bummer. So naturally, where does Satan go to work? Inside the church. If it's not going to work from the outside the church, I'm going to go to the inside of the church. And he begins to tempt Ananias and Sapphira with his plan to bring a stain to the name of Jesus, to bring a stain to the church so that the church's ministry wouldn't be effective, so that they wouldn't advance the gospel, so that people would see the church as a bunch of hypocrites and not God-fearing, God-loving people. I believe that Ananias and Sapphira were Christians. I believe that God judged their sin immediately to make a point and to preserve the testimony of the church. I believe that God takes sin serious, and so should we. It's interesting because as Satan went to work, God knew what was going on. And he was going to make sure that his church was preserved and that we wouldn't mess it all up. Verse 36, there was a man named Joseph. He later on became Barnabas. That was his nickname. Why does Luke tell us about Barnabas right here? You know, I think the reason he tells us about Barnabas, I'm just going to give you two of them. One is because he wanted us to know about Barnabas because Barnabas was a great guy. He was a real encourager to the church. He was one who some maybe 23 more times throughout the book of Acts, we get to experience Barnabas. So he's a big deal in the book of Acts. But Barnabas was also a Levite who happened to own property from Cyprus who sold everything he had and laid the money at the feet of the apostles. There's a couple things we need to address here. Number one, he was a Levite, and now he's a Christian? That's a big deal. Did you know that Levites were not supposed to own land? So why did he own land? I don't really know, but I'm going to give you a guess. I think because he was from Cyprus, outside of the borders of Israel, gave him permission to own that land. Now, if you don't like that explanation, come up with your own. But I think that might be a reason. But what did Barnabas do? Knowing the needs of the church and the people around him, he sold his property and he laid the money at the apostles' feet. How did he lay it there? with or without strings attached? Without. He didn't have to sell the land, and he didn't have to give the money, but he chose to out of a generous heart for the needs of those around him. 
And when he laid the money at the apostles' feet, he trusted that God would use the apostles to glorify God and meet the needs of those around him without telling the apostles how to use the money. How do you give to the church? Do you give with strings attached? Do you give generously? Do you give expecting the church to use your money the way you want them to? Or do you give from a place of generosity, seeing that what God has given you, you are to steward, and therefore you give generously, and when you put that money in the plate, you trust that the leaders will steward well and advance God's kingdom and grow God's church with absolute integrity? Or do you see the money you put in the plate as something you earned and you own? Barnabas saw it as God's. When we get to chapter 5, there is the word but, and it's there to draw a contrast. Contrasting Barnabas's gift and generosity to Ananias and Sapphira, we have the but. But they saw things differently. Ananias and Sapphira had some property. They brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount with his wife's consent. They did this. Now, why do you think they did this? I don't really know. But maybe Ananias and Sapphira saw the accolades, the pat on the back, uh, the prominence and the prestige and the placement that Barnabas had in the church, and they wanted that too. So they're like, you know what? If he got it, we're going to get it too. We're going to get all this attention. This is going to be great. But then Barnabas was like, you know what, honey? I, I, man, this, this is a lot of money. I mean, should we really give all this to the church? Wouldn't it be great if like, we kept some of it and went on vacation or something? She's like, yeah, totally. But, but let's not tell anybody. Let's make it look like we're giving it all. You know the interesting thing about this? They didn't have to sell the property. It was theirs to sell or keep. They didn't have to give it all. It was theirs to give or take. Their sin wasn't that they held anything back. Their sin was that they lied about what they gave. They were hypocrites. You ever sell something, like maybe a car, you got $5,000, you didn't need it? I'm just giving an example. Think of your own in your life. And you know what? We're going to sell this thing. We don't need it. And we're going we're gonna to bless people with all that money. And then you get that $5,000 in your hand, and you're like, oh, you know what? Man, this hard, cold cash in my hand now. How about we use $2,000 to bless people? And the other three, let's go on vacation. What happened? Perspective change, your motive changed. One of the things that we must do as Christians is live with our motive meter turned on so that we constantly are engaging the motives in our life from a Christ-like perspective, evaluating it based on what the Word of God says not based on how we feel or what we want. When it comes to giving, 
God has given you everything you have, and you can give what you want. But when you give, will you give generously? Will you give joyfully? Will you hold nothing back from God? And will you trust the church to do its job? Verse 3, Peter said to Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You know, Ananias' sin was the result of failing to take sin serious and to keep his meter on, his motive meter. He was tempted by Satan. He succumbed to the temptation, and so did Sapphira. And as a result, I believe that God, through the Holy Spirit, gave the apostle Peter insight and discernment to look at Ananias and eventually Sapphira and say, you're lying and you've sinned against God, not just us. Verse 5, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Well, then there was Sapphira. She shows up three hours later, doesn't even know what's going on. Can you imagine that? She's questioned. Did you sell the property for such and such? Yeah. Why are you lying? Why are you testing God like this? He's not okay with your sin. He's not okay with hypocrisy. He's not okay with you trying to make others believe that you're somebody you're not. So let's be honest. Verse 10, instantly she fell to the floor and died. See, great fear. It gripped the heart of those in the church. And it caused a reverence for God. And everyone around them began to see and experience and understand that God takes sin serious. And so should we. There's just two things I want to talk about this morning by way of application. And they both relate to the Christian's responsibility in walking with God. When we become saved and born again, God gives us the Spirit of God so that we can walk with God and become like God through a character and in every way. Yes, God makes us holy. Yes, God saves us from our sin. Yes, God, through faith, gives us an eternity. But God also gives us a responsibility as a Christian to walk in obedience to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The first thing we're going to look at this morning is our need to take sin seriously as a Christian. Sin is a serious matter to God, and it needs to be a serious matter to us too. You see, all sin is offensive to God. All sin. Sin is simply not living up to God's standard of holiness. 
So when we evaluate our lives and we have a perspective check, what we're looking to do as Christians is see if whether or not our life is living to the standard of God or to our own standard or the standard of the world. God says, you find my standard in the word of God. I reveal it to you through my spirit in you. wasn't the sin of keeping money. It was the lie and the sin of hypocrisy that caused judge to that caused God to judge Ananias and Sapphira's sin immediately. And I think that we need to be honest with ourselves that we too are subject to the same temptation and the same sin as them. Lying and hypocrisy. And as a result of this, I'm going to give you some practical steps that we can take if we're really going to consider sin as something serious. First, we must take an honest look at our lives regarding our sin and our deceit. Are we truthful people? Do people see you as a truthful person? Do we believe that sin is a serious offense against God and not just something we fail on the checklist of following God? We must ask ourselves the question, do we lead others to believe that we are someone we are not? That's our responsibility. Second thing is we must lay the results at the feet of Jesus. When we evaluate our life and we come to terms with the fact that sin is messing up our life and the church and those around us, we got to put that at the feet of Jesus. And we trust that Jesus will be gracious enough to forgive us of our sin. We should repent of that sin and we, we should by faith turn to Christ and, and, and live in obedience to the word of God. And, and, and then we should plead with the Lord to help us to live honest lives. And finally, the third thing, we, we are to commit to being honest and authentic with our life. We are to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Did you know you can do that? You can say no to sin. You can say yes to living righteously. We're to commit our lives to not being dishonest or deceitful people, not telling lies, but to be people who live our lives defined by holiness, who will not stretch the truth, but who will pursue a holy life. So what does it mean to be holy? Simplest definition I can give you of holiness or to be holy is conformity to the character of God. That's what holy living is all about. That's actually what the Christian life is all about. See, God, through Jesus, when we become born again, saved us from our sin and saved us unto eternity. True. But God also saved us for a purpose while we're still here, and that purpose is to live a holy life. And the holy life that God has set us apart to live can only be lived 
when we subject ourselves to the control of the Spirit in our life and we live in obedience to the Word of God. In his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, Jerry Bridges makes the point that our problem is that our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. We are more concerned about our victory over sin than we are about the fact that our sins grieve the heart of God. We cannot tolerate failure in our struggle with sin chiefly because we are success-oriented, not because we know it is offensive to God. If you take this serious, this could be a game changer for your life as a Christian. Is the way you view sin self-centered or God-centered? If you sin, are you just simply failing to meet the checklist? Or when you sin, do you see your sin as an absolute offense against God? First and foremost, for some odd reason, we like to make sin in our life big and little, don't we? So, so we say, well, you know what? These little sins, it's not that big of a deal if we do this, but then there are these big sins, and we, we truly, like, we're going to avoid those at all costs. And if we see our sin as a failure to meet the checklist, then what we're really doing is looking at sin in light of ourselves rather than in light of an offense against God. But when we see our little sins and our big sins equally offensive to God because it's sin, it changes our perspective on sin and our pursuit of holiness. W.S. Plummer said, we can never see sin aright until we see it against God. Isn't that true? I recently saw a sign, and it read, I saw that, God. God sees everything, doesn't he? He sees your motives, your intentions. He knows your perspective. He judges your heart. He sees it all. I saw that. God, the big sins and the little sins, the good, the bad, the ugly, when you do right, when you do wrong, God sees it all. You can't hide in anything from God. You know, it's compromise on the little issues that leads us as Christians to greater downfalls. As Christians, we would all benefit from living with this sign embedded in our mind. I saw that. God. Second thing is that personal integrity affects the unity and the witness of the church in the world. We must make truth a priority in every aspect of our life. Nothing will hinder our witness as a Christian more than being a hypocrite, than being dishonest, and that life of living lacking integrity. I recently heard a story 
about a farmer and a mechanic. Now, I hope I get the story right. Because if I fudge it a little, all week I've been concerned that I'm just going to drop dead. If I do, do not resuscitate. I'll be far better off than you, I promise. But here's the story. A farmer and mechanic. The farmer brings his tractor. True story too, by the way. The farmer brought his tractor to the mechanic because the engine needed a major overhaul. But the farmer only wanted the mechanic to do what was needed to make it run again. The mechanic, being an honest man, said, I don't want to do this because your engine's going to fail. And the farmer said, I just want you to do what I want you to do. So do that for me, would you? The mechanic said, okay, and agreed to it. Two days later, he's in the field with his tractor and his engine blows. According to the farmer, whose fault is it that his engine blows? Certainly not the farmer. It's all the mechanic's fault. So the farmer calls the mechanic and chews him out. My tractor that I brought to you has now got a blown engine and it's your fault. I'm going to cancel the check that I gave you and you will not receive your payment from me. This is a problem for many reasons. We get that, right? But the mechanic who was the honest person in the story was left with a bitter taste from his customer, who, by the way, claimed to be a Christian and was a deacon in his church. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that mechanic who is not a believer was going to step foot in that deacon's church any day soon? No. The mechanic's perspective of a Christian changed forever from that day forward and couldn't get past seeing Christians as dishonest people. And his only regret was that he didn't endorse the check and sign it over to the deacon's church, put it in the deacon's offering plate so that when it went through the bank, the deacon's hypocrisy would be revealed. Do you realize that as Christians, we can stain the name of Christ and the witness of the church by lacking integrity? Sadly, one of the ways that many people outside the church view Christians today inside the church is as a hypocrite. The other sad reality of that is we've given them plenty of reason to see that. But in case you're wondering if there's any hypocrites among us, I just want you to look to your left and your right and then to yourself and realize that you're in good company. God doesn't want us to live like hypocrites. To the outside world, they look at us and they say, you're a Christian, you shouldn't sin. The bottom line is, as a Christian, we will sin because the sin nature we have isn't removed from us. And so, therefore, when we do sin, God wants us to take care of business. 
For my kids, I tell them, you know what? I'm not perfect. Yes, I'm a pastor and I'm your dad, but don't worry about that. What I want you to know is that I will sin. And when I sin against God and I sin against you, I want you to pay attention to how I then live my life in light of the sin. Well, I take care of business, confess my sin, get right with God, get right with others, and then live my life in such a way that I'm working out the gospel. And that's what we are all to do. We are sinners saved by grace, and our sin won't stop. So yeah, hypocrites in good company, we are. But what is a hypocrite really? Hypocrite is a pretender, a person who says one thing and does another. A hypocrite hides behind the mask so that the reality of who they are will never be revealed. As a Christian, I hope that you take enough responsibility for your life that who you reveal yourself to be to others is not a hypocrite, but a follower of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we must take responsibility for our lives and make sure to keep the motives of our lives in check and on the up and up. That's why we dare not turn off the motive meter. We got to keep it on all the time. Making ourselves look better than we are is really that sin of hypocrisy. Have you ever been in the middle of telling a story and you realize you're at that point where you're now fudging the truth? We all know the fishing story, right? I mean, I caught this fish. It was this big. It was about three and a half pounds. And then by the fourth time I tell this story, the fish got this big and it was like four pounds because three and a half was just too much to say. So I averaged up. And then by the 12th time I tell it, I mean, this fish, it's huge. I, I mean, it was so big, I didn't weigh it, but it had to be like 12 pounds. You know what? God doesn't want us to tell stories like that. God doesn't want us to live our life like that. How does God want us to live? Simply like this, just be honest. Just be honest. We share Ananias' sin not when others think we are more spiritual than we are, but when we are the reason that others think when we cause others to think, when we try to justify ourselves to be more spiritual than we are. We share in Ananias and Sapphira's sin by creating the impression that we are people of prayer and we've got it all together religiously and that we're very righteous people when we're not. We share in the sin of hypocrisy when we set an example for the world to tell them and let them think that we have it all together, but we don't want them to come into our home because then they will see that we are an absolute mess and don't have it together. We share in the sin of hypocrisy when, when we want the perception of our lives to be that we're very generous people, but the reality is that we don't give anything or not much of anything. We give begrudgingly, and when we do give, actually, anytime we talk or walk, we just squeak. And then there's the sin of hypocrisy that is making too many headlines today is that not only grieves my heart, should grieve yours, but I know grieves God. Too many pastors today are living a double life. They're taking on the adventure of what the world has to offer. They're living adulterous lives, sin-filled lives, all the while trying to be and wanting you to believe that they are your shepherd and your example and your leader. 
God, have mercy on me. Pray for me. I have a big target on me. Satan wants to get me. But by God's grace, I will be faithful to him and to you throughout my life. See, I'm encouraged when other believers work through their sin, when other believers work through their temptation, and when other believers work through hardships in life. Why? Because then I know I'm not alone. And I want you to know that if you are one who has overcome sin and temptation and hardship in life and you've done that well, thank you for being an example for me and how I should do that and for those around us. As a body of Christ, we're a family. We're to go through life together. We don't have it all together. We are sinners saved by grace. We're going to have temptation. We're going to have failures. But we need brothers and sisters to walk with us through life so that we don't do it alone, so that we can be lifted up and encouraged like Barnabas is to others. We need to know that you've overcome this sin or you've overcome this temptation and therefore you can help me do that too. See, we're in this together as a family. What was God doing to Ananias and Sapphira? I really think what God was doing was he was helping us understand that when a healthy church becomes sick through cancer, He's going to deal with that cancer right away and give it the shock treatment. See, Ananias and Sapphira, their sin was cancer in the body. And it hindered the witness of the church. And God said, I'm going to take that sin serious and I want you to take it serious. And therefore, I'm going to get rid of the sin right away so that the advancement of the gospel can continue through my church. And he dealt with it like that. Sin is a big deal to God, and it should be a big deal to us too. As Christians, our daily decisions are evaluated by those around us, and they reveal our true character, whether or not we take sin serious and we live with integrity or not. But after all, remember, God knows your motives, so keep your motive meter on. And anytime we live our lives to the glory of God, we recognize that His standard is holiness, conformity to His image and His character. And when we see sin as an offense against God, it causes the reverence for God within us to rise and a desire within us as followers of Jesus to be holy as he is holy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of life that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that as your church, as your people, as your family, that, God, we would take sin serious, that we would recognize the importance of living with integrity before you, God, and others. That when others see us, they don't see the mess that we've made of our lives, but they see the grace that you've granted to us. That they would be drawn to you through us and because of us as you live by your Spirit in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.